You are listening to Locked On Oilers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Happy Thursday, everybody. Tom Gazzola from TSN 1260 with you as we continue network-wide checking out the most memorable moments from the 2019-2020 season. And to help me do that today, we bring in Derek Van Dies from Post Media covering the Edmonton Oilers. DVD, you are a fan and friend of the show, and I'm glad to have you back, pal. And uh, what have you been doing during this time of social distancing, self-quarantining, and self-isolation? Well, thanks for having me on, Tom. Uh, yeah, I hope you're staying safe. Uh, I'm doing pretty much what everyone else is doing. I've kind of been hanging out the house uh, all day, every day. I uh, don't venture out much just to kind of get groceries and then come back home. So we're working from home now. They've kind of shut down the office. So there's still actually lots to write about. There's still a lot of athletes to talk to. And uh, so we're, we're still kind of working, but uh, now we're working from home, working the phone lines, talking to people, seeing what's going on. So uh, apart from that, trying to stay busy, trying to keep up on uh, some of my Netflix shows and some of the other shows. But uh, actually the days are going by pretty quickly. By the time I get up and walk the two steps to my office from my bed, uh, <laughs> and then start with the emails and the writing and the calling. And then once the day kind of finishes and then you go and watch TV or go do something, we'll, we'll ride the bike a little bit. I have a trainer indoors, so I've been using that for a little bit. So it's not too bad, but uh, as the weather gets nicer and nicer, it's going to be, I think, tougher and tougher to stay inside. Yeah. You know what? I'm feeling that restlessness a little bit as well. But uh, I bought a patio table DVD, and that was my big project today. It's complete. The patio looks great, and like you mentioned, the weather's good, so I can go sit out on my balcony and now place my drinks and whatever I need on the table. So I can't believe all these years I've lived in this building with this balcony, and I have not had a table. Um, it's the little things, I guess, pal. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't even have a balcony. I live in a downtown condo, and I just have big bay windows, so I, I see the sunshine. I get a lot of sunshine, but nowhere to kind of actually go outside and hang out, So, which is... <sighs> You know, normally it's not bad. You can just walk outside or go to a pub or something or sit in a patio. But right. you know, when everything's shut down and you're in quarantine, then, then you kind of do miss uh, a little bit of a patio space outside. Positive vibes, man. Positive vibes. And uh, soon enough, we'll get through this. And speaking of positive vibes, I really, really am encouraged. And I want to believe that this is going to happen. We heard, you know, the rumblings yesterday. Emily Kaplan was talking about it. Greg Wyshynski was talking about it. Frank Saravalli wrote an article about it today on tsn.ca, and that's the NHL, and they admitted to it too, the NHL admitted to it as well, is looking at two to four NHL cities to host teams and to play out the string of the regular season as well as the postseason. When you look at this concept and idea, and the idea that Edmonton would be a perfect venue to do so with the Ice District, the hotel, the practice sheet and the plethora of dressing rooms and locker rooms available to each team. Um, how plausible do you think this idea is? And, and do you see it coming into fruition at some point down the road here? Well, I think it, it is a plausible idea if you can find a venues kind of like Edmonton. I think Edmonton would be the absolutely perfect venue for something like this because you have the hotel connected to the arena and then you have the arena with multiple dressing rooms, and it's a big, big, large arena. You have the practice facility attached to the arena. So it would be absolutely perfect because you can kind of have everything inside there in that area and not have anyone 
basically leave a building. So if you're going right. to quarantine players, if you're going to quarantine officials, if you're going to quarantine broadcast uh, people, then you do it all there. You put them all in the hotel and basically you kind of keep everyone in that little biosphere there and you go about your business. Now, the only thing is you can't let anyone out of that biosphere. So basically the players say, okay, we're going to have this, whatever it would be, eight weeks, two months, uh, 12, you know, 10 month, 10 week tournament. They have to be quarantined in that hotel for that, that length of time. So I think it's something that they have to find locales like that. I think Edmonton would be the absolutely perfect locale. And when you're looking at something like that, yeah, you have to look at places where the, the hotel is attached to the rink and they have a practice rink and, you know, players don't have to go outside and you can kind of keep everyone in a confined area. So, and the hotels are empty. So you could put three, four teams in there. You can put broadcast people in there. You can put officials in there. You can put a lot of people in that hotel, but you have to say you're stuck in this hotel. You can't go anywhere. You're going to the hotel, to the rink, back to the hotel, and that's it. You're going to have no contact with the outside world because the minute one person gets COVID, one person gets sick in that little bubble, then this whole thing is off. Everything's off because you can't go around having, because then that'll spread like wildfire. If you contain right. everything in one area and then it happens that one person gets sick, then, then you're in big trouble. Now, the only problem, well, there's obviously multiple problems. The problem with this is that you can basically test all the players and test everyone and they all come back negative, but you can still be a carrier and not have any symptoms. You can still carry this virus. I think that's the issue right now. I could be a carrier. You could be a carrier. We all could be carrying this thing and not get sick because it right. doesn't affect everybody the same way. And I think that's the issue. Also, you got to take into consideration, I'm a broadcast guy, I'm a camera guy, and you're being asked now to basically put your life on hold for two months and maybe put yourself in, in, in some danger trying to get these games broadcast. So it'll be really interesting to see. I, I like the idea. I think it could happen at tournament kind of, kind of format somehow they can, they can do it. And I think it would be good because people are, are dying to, to watch something and they're dying to, to, to watch hockey. They're dying to watch sports of, of any kind right now. So if, if the numbers go down here in Edmonton as, as they're going down, uh, if, if, it, if, it's no, if it's not a hot spot, if, if it looks like it's okay to, to bring players in, then you do it. But then again, you're bringing players in from the United States where the virus has exploded there. You're bringing players in from Europe where the virus has exploded there. So you really have to test everyone and, and, and hope that everyone is absolutely clear before you let them within uh, blocks of that arena. The situation with the coronavirus outbreak in the Edmonton area has been pretty good. Uh, contrast that with Calgary, where that seems to be a bit of a, a problem spot. Uh, not you know horrible compared to other parts of North America, but I think you're right about Edmonton being a perfect example of, of a place where it can be done. Now, I know there's a few hurdles that would need to be you know, cleared before you could even consider doing this. I like the fact that this idea is being thrown out there. What did you think of the other cities that were mentioned? Because I know Raleigh, Carolina was another one. I know that Minnesota was another one. Uh, I had heard that Winnipeg might have been in the mix. Uh, Toronto, Frank talked talked about. And I even heard Phoenix might have been plausible as well. Because when you mentioned you need a hotel – you need an arena and, you know, preferably practice ice really close by. Columbus also has that. And Buffalo also has that. 
Buffalo has two hotels, a practice rink, and the main arena. But New York State, like you mentioned, that's a, a big-time hot spot. So I think Pittsburgh was another one that Frank Saravalli tossed out there. What do you think of the other cities and venues that could host? Because like myself, DVD, you've traveled the National Hockey League for a long time, mm-hmm. and you know all of these facilities inside and out. Yeah, and I, and I do like some of the I, I do like the the Columbus Columbus as we know is 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 a good spot. They have the hotels right there, and I, I'm not sure if they're connected or not. I think you do have to walk outside, but the, yeah, they are right there. But they do have the practice arena. They do have the main arena. They do have a lot of room down there to to host multiple teams. So Columbus would be a good spot. Minnesota would be a very good spot. Mind you, I don't think Minnesota has a practice rink in their arena. No. Uh, now that I remember it. But they do have – their hotel is connected to the rink. So I think that might be an issue. There is no, no practice rink there. Um, I'm not sure what the situation in Toronto would be. I think uh, they don't have a practice rink there. The Leafs practice a miles, miles, and miles away from, from, from their arena. Yep. So Pittsburgh, same thing, but no practice facility there. So I think that's – I think that's the big thing too. If you're hosting – Four, let's say you're hosting four teams and two are playing, the other two are going to be wanting to practice. And so you're going to need those practice facilities. So if you have something like Edmonton has, to me, Edmonton is absolutely the, the perfect locale. Yes. The perfect uh, locale. So everything has to kind of uh, come up to those standards, to Edmonton standards to be able to, to host this. But I think it can be done. It can be possible. Now, does it become political where, where, where municipalities or teams are saying, no, no, we want to host this. We think, you know, we want to put these teams up. And does it kind of a tug of war now between four cities of the 32 where, where they want to, want to host these, um, these tournaments. So I think that's going to be interesting. But I think if, if you do uh, find these four places, you really have to kind of bring the players in and bring everyone in and maybe two or three weeks before that, isolate everybody yep. and then make sure nobody gets sick. Make sure everybody is fine. And then once everybody is fine, then nobody goes anywhere. Uh, you right. can't, no one's in and out. Like I said, it, it becomes an old little biodome uh, where everyone has to kind of uh, stay in the same place. Now in the summer, if things don't get as bad. If, if, if the curve has been flattened and, and we're seeing cases go down and uh, then, yeah, I think this would be very plausible. I think it's more plausible to have it in Canada right now than maybe in the United States because the United States, things don't seem to be slowing down. And, and if anything, it's going to get a lot worse this summer because I think there's a lot of people getting a little irritable down in the States. Huh. They don't like to be told to stay at home. And, and, and you're seeing that backlash right now. And I think that's going to result in, in even greater numbers. I think here in Canada, we're not at that point yet. We understand. We know it's tough. We know it's difficult. Uh, but we understand that uh, – this is a big thing. You, you have, we have to get through this and we have to make these sacrifices. So it'll be interesting to see, maybe they'll just go all Canada. Maybe they'll just come up here and, and do Montreal, Toronto, Edmonton, Vancouver, or something like that to that extent where you can kind of host everyone in these little bubbles. But then again, you're bringing in people from all over the world to kind of work there. And uh, I know for our, on, on a basically just a selfish standpoint, I would love, I would love to, to be able to, to have those games hosted here. And if we got a chance to cover them, if they told me, dude, you're going to have to spend the next two weeks at the, or next two months at the Marriott. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> no skin off my back. I'll spend the next two months at the Marriott and I'll go from the Marriott to the rink every day for two months. It, it, it won't bother me in the least. Uh, I, but then again, my situation is different. I don't have kids. I'm not married. I don't have to worry about anything like that. So you tell someone that, 
they have to be away from their kids for, for two months, maybe, you know, a little bit longer than that might be a little tougher. So, you know, what's funny is I can imagine you packing up your big travel suitcase and throwing, throwing your backpack on and then just walking up the street from your condo to the Marriott and being like, well, I'm home for two months. Yeah, I, could just, much, <laughs> I could just see you in my head walking up 104th street. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's pretty much, I, I travel light as you know, Tom, I don't, I don't travel. So right. what would I need? I need a pair of shorts, a few t-shirts and a suit, uh, and maybe a suit <laughs> one or two suits and some dress shirts. Yeah, I could, I could do that. No problem. I don't think it'd be an issue, but, um, but yeah, there's obviously lots of logistics involved that, but maybe in a month or two, when a lot of the cases have died down, maybe when we have, they have this thing under control here in mm-hmm. Alberta or in, in Vancouver or in Ontario. Yeah. Then maybe that could be very, very plausible just right now, anywhere in the States I'd be, I'd be leery of just because the way things are, are going on there and, and how, how poorly it's been handled. Uh, in the United States, and then uh, you know, I was there just on the brink when it when it just was about to start. I was on a road trip with the orders, and I think they had their first uh, their first case or their first step when I was in the United States. And and you can tell how how really underprepared they were and how bad yeah. this was going to be. But but I really hope this come. I think this would be fantastic. I think a lot of people do it. It'd be fun. It'd be you know, I don't know if he best the seven series. I don't know if they would figure out would it be a little bit of a tournament here with these four teams and they'll play each other. I don't know, best of three, best of four, whatever, and try and figure out a winner. I think right. it'd be a lot of fun. And then also you have to give the players a little bit of a runway here to try and get back in a hockey shape, get back into skating. So if they decide to do this, I think they need at least a couple of weeks to quarantine players and then maybe a, you know, a couple more weeks to kind of get help them get them back in shape so if they can get kind of like a mini training camp going with the teams coming in maybe, I don't know, mid-June and then start playing games mid-July and you go July, August, September, maybe that can be done. Right. You know what's funny? And, and you touch on the, the situation in the United States. And I was thinking, I'm like, all right, you need a rink. You need a hotel close by. You need practice ice. And automatically, and this is the NBA, you know, they, they tossed around the idea of having the NBA play in Vegas because that's where their summer leagues happen. And obviously, you have all the hotels. The T-Mobile Arena is right off the strip, or basically it's on the strip. And then you've got a ton of hotels. And on top of that, you have where the Golden Knights practice in Summerlin, which is a 10, 15 minute drive away. That facility is across the street from another resort. I think it's like the Red Rock Casino and Resort. And, mm-hmm. and you've got a couple of sheets of ice. I'm like, wow, Vegas might actually be potential site. I'm surprised I'm not hearing that city being thrown out there. And then you hear and see their mayor go on CNN with Anderson Cooper. And you're like, oh boy. That's not good. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of answering my own little question there, but I, I just, I look at that and I'm like, this is, that's not a good situation. Derek Vandies from Post Media joining us now as we continue on this week here on Locked On Oilers with the best moments of the 2019-2020 NHL season. And when it comes to the Oilers DVD, I had Jack Michaels on yesterday he brought up the two Flames Oilers matchups with the St. Louis game sandwiched between. It was a crazy, crazy four days of hockey. Great stuff if you're a fan of the Oilers. What moments from this season or moment or game specifically do you recall as one that stood out to you, perhaps a signature moment for the Oilers? You know, one that really stood out for me, I think, it was early in the season when Alexander Ovechkin and the 
Washington Capitals rolled through town here. And I, that, that game was early in the year. It was in October. I think the Oilers were still kind of trying to find their way. They were trying to find their footing. Uh, I think they, they had come off uh, uh, a couple of tough losses in that. Uh, they, I think they, they lost they lost one nothing to Winnipeg. They had lost 3 nothing to Minnesota on the road. They came home to host uh, the Washington Capitals. And what I remember about that game is that they fell behind 3-1 uh, Ovechkin scored a couple of goals in the second period, uh, and they were down 3-1 going into the third. And I really do think that was a gut-check moment for the Edmonton Oilers because they, they lose that game. That's three in a row. Uh, and we all we were always talking about how maybe fragile this team was at the beginning of the year right. when things start going bad. And if they had lost three in a row, I think it, it would have been kind of trouble for them, and especially the way Ovi was rolling, and, and it was one of those things that, he, he came in and scored a couple of great goals, one-timers, I believe. And so the Oilers came back, and, and that was kind of Leon Dreisaitl's night. He, he scored to make it 3-2. McDavid scored to make it 3-3. He scored, I think, uh, he scored 18-22 of the third period uh, to make it 3-3. And, and Dreisaitl won the game in overtime. And to me, that was, I think that was a pretty big turning moment for the Edmonton Oilers because they, they looked at that and they said, wow, we just beat – one of the best teams in the league. We came back on one of the best teams in the league when a guy like Ovechkin was playing as well as he was playing. I think from then on, I think the Oilers really kind of started to, to, to believe in themselves and believe in what they can do. And I think Dreisaitl, that kind of took his game to another level. He had, uh, I think, six goals going and scored those two. And, and, and he really kind of just took off from there. And I think, to me, that was uh, – a real pivotal moment that I remember near that big game really stands out for me uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, that game against the Washington Capitals. And I think uh, later on, I was able to go on the road trip with the Oilers, and I think they had a, uh, a really good road trip. And they had that great game in Pittsburgh where right. they were badly, badly outplayed. They had no business being in that game. And, and Mike Smith kind of just stood on his head. He was, he was unbelievable in that hockey game. He just stood on his head. He made save after save after save, and then the Oilers were able to come out and, and, and pull out the victory. I remember that game. And, of course, that was the game. Colby Cave scored that great goal. He, he had been called up uh, earlier. Uh, that Well, he called up the day before. Right, yep. And I know that uh, I was on the trip in the Pittsburgh. They practiced in Pittsburgh, and Colby Cave had, had not been made the trip yet. So then he showed up that morning, and then he played the game that night, and then he scored an unbelievable goal. Uh, you know, it was uh, McDavid-esque goals, just getting around the defenseman and, and tucking it away. And I think that game was big too, just the way how well Mike Smith played and how they kind of stole those points. Uh, um, trying to remember, trying to find that game now. I remember, was it 51 saves or something ridiculous like that yeah. that Mike Smith had made that, that game. And, and uh, it was a, the last game of a road trip and then the Oilers went home and and they felt really good about themselves. I think if they had gotten really beat pretty badly in that game, it uh, would have been trouble. But they felt good about themselves, um, and uh, they went on from there. So I think those those two games really, really kind of stand out for me right now. I think just the way that they played them and just the way that they were able to, to, to pull them out. Because I think, uh, you know, this it's, as good as this team was playing this year, you know, we've been around this team for so long and you're almost expecting to go, okay, here we go again. Type that, that type attitude of, okay, I remember gonna, that. Yeah. You know, it, and it almost, and I think no matter how hard you tried to kind of get out of that, it, it, you know, it's, it, it's tough. It's, it's a tough mentality to kind of 
overcome. And I think uh, on that particular road trip, they, they lost in Detroit on that road trip. They lost – there was a three-game three road trip, three games in four night, and Detroit was god-awful. And they, and they went out and they lost to Detroit on that trip. They came back with a really good effort against Columbus. And then to make it a really good trip, they, they went out and, and, and beat Bergen Dreisaitl again, scoring in overtime uh, to kind of win that game. And I think from then on in, the Oilers were kind of – they started to believe, you know what, we, we have the goaltending, we have the offense, we can pull out games like this. And uh, I think that was, uh, that was, those were two kind of big turning points. And, I, and again, uh, obviously talking to Colby Cave after the game, I just, he was so happy after the game. He was, he, he was a guy that was just delighted to be in the league and – and to score a highlight real goal like that, he was just delighted to be able to help out. And, and it was it's just a great story overall uh, with Kobe Cave coming in and, and kind of scoring that goal. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. And, and listen, those were signature wins for the team this season. The Washington one, the Pittsburgh one, obviously. And how much of the team's confidence, you touched on how it, it probably absolutely contributed to their belief system within themselves. How much of it is that type of performance and result that has built up the Oilers to where they got to now at this time of pause where they're sitting second in the division? And how much is it what Dave Tippett, Glenn Gullitson, and Jim Playfair have been able to bring to the table? Because there does seem to be a difference in attitude. And to me, I describe it as a buy-in to what Tippett brought to the table. So in your opinion, how much of it is it Tippett and the staff and then the results that has built this confidence within the group. Well, I think they have they have to take a lot of credit for what they've done because they you talk about buying and it is about buying in. It is about buying into the way that they want to play. It is about buying into a system. And I think the one thing that this team has, and, and this team had this back in 2017 when they qualified for player, they have expe- exceptional special teams. They're first in penalty kill, first in power play, and that's going to win you a lot of games on your own. And it got to the point where – the Oilers are scoring one every three power play opportunities. And, and, and you can make a case that for whatever reason, they, they're not drawing enough penalties because for whatever reason, they're not getting enough calls. But when they do, that power play became such a big weapon for them. It's such a huge arsenal to have in your back pocket. Even if you're down a couple of goals, uh, you know, take example that, that the Washington game, they're down a couple of goals, but they said, we don't need a couple goals. We just need a couple of power plays to get back in this game. We can get a couple of man advantages. We can get a couple of power plays. We can get right back into this game. And I think that was, that's, been, that's been the case a lot is the Oilers have never felt themselves out of a game because they have that great power play, because they have that potent power play. And in, on the flip side of that is that because they have a good penalty kill, they can play a bit more aggressive defensive game. They can pay a bit more aggressively because they're not going to get burnt every time they take a penalty. And as we've seen here, all the years covering this team, this team would play so hard five on five. They would play so hard. Then they would take a penalty and you'd like, oh, they're going to give up a goal. On this <laughs> that's gonna be all. Like how many times we just like, oh, no, we take a bad, especially if it was a bad penalty. Yes. Take a penalty 200 feet from their own net. You're just like, oh, this is going to be end up in the back of the net. Yes. And you kind of sense that the players got that sense too. Like they're playing their butts off and they take a bad penalty and that bad penalty always ends up in the back of the net. But I think this year, it's different. They said, okay, we take a bad penalty. Let's go. We're going to kill it because we have that confidence. We have that penalty killing ability. And the same thing, if we're down a bit, we just need to get a power play. And how many times did people say that in the press box or in the state? We just need a power play. 
just get us a power play and we can get right back into this game. And I think that's been a big difference for this team this season. It's been fun to watch. I hope we get a resumption to the season. Uh, DVD, this brings us to this day in hockey history, April 23rd, 1996. Wayne Gretzky picked up three assists as St. Louis won 5-1 over the visiting Toronto Maple Leafs to give the Blues a 3-1 lead in their Western Conference quarterfinal series. Do you remember Gretzky as a Blue very well, DVD? Because it was a brief moment in time. (laughs) Vaguely, vaguely. He came into town as a Blue and it just... It just didn't seem right watching, looking Gretzky in that in that blues uniform. Like I, in LA, in, in in New York, yeah, okay, that seems okay. I'm mean, the greatest player in the world. Yes, playing in in those major markets, playing here in Edmonton, obviously growing up. But it just, you know, you look at Gretzky in that that blue note, and it's just like, ah, it just doesn't look right. Just, <laughs> something's off there. Something's off. It doesn't look doesn't look right. So yeah, I, I it's funny. It's kind of you know, you think of Gretzky. Yeah, Oilers and then Kings and then Rangers, and you kind of completely forgot. That, oh yeah, he did. He did play. Uh, he did play there with the Blues there for a little while. So it's kind of fun. It's like remember Joe Montana played with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes. <laughs> you really don't. Right? Like it's like, <laughs> like you don't remember. You know, oh like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's when you have those star players and and uh, they make those those they go and play on teams that you just they just don't associate with you just don't associate with them there and so it's it's kind of interesting in that regard oh bad uh that's so funny yeah mark messier was the captain of the vancouver canucks so yeah, exactly. uh the memories pal the memories and uh listen thanks for sharing some of your most memorable moments from the season i hope we continue the season and maybe this plan that uh, we heard about you know finally comes to fruition and and i will see you walking up 104th street with your large suitcase ready to move into the jw for a couple of months that'd be amazing (laughs) thanks for having me on and uh stay safe thanks dvd Uh, that does it for this edition of locked on oilers be sure to tell your smart device to play locked on nhl myself and joe dibiase from locked on sabers have got you covered every friday take care everyone 